Well, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter uh, 9, and we're going to be looking at uh, really uh, part of one of the great texts in the Bible about giving. We're going to look at the discipline of giving this morning and uh, just kind of figure out how to practically grow in that area. So let's pray and then we'll get into our text. Father, we come before you as needy sinners And Father, we're thankful for grace, and not just grace, but abundant grace, and grace upon grace, and grace for all of our needs. We're thankful for Christ and His death on the cross, His purchasing the right to save sinners with His own blood. Father, that we might be justified, declared to be righteous because we placed our faith in Him. Father, we praise You for that. We can't even grasp the magnitude of it. But, Father, we know that all eternity will not even tell of the greatness of your goodness towards us in Christ Jesus. We pray this morning as we look into your word that as you speak to us on the pages of Scripture, we would receive the word implanted. That, Father, it would go deep into our hearts and that we would leave here not just with more knowledge, but with changed lives that you would be glorified, that we would be blessed. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. C.H. Spurgeon, in a sermon, sermon entitled, Christ Precious to Believers, he speaks of just some of the sacrifices that believers have made, uh, especially during the early years of the church. And uh, really, uh, if you're up on uh, this, on the persecuted church, you know that it's still happening today. And he writes this, For a man to leave his wife, to be despised by her who ought to honor him, to be spit upon by his own children, to be driven out by his own countrymen, and to have his name mentioned as a hissing and a reproach and a byword, this is no easy matter to bear. And yet the Christian in the first ages took up this cross, and not only carried it patiently, but carried it joyfully, rejoicing in tribulations." And mark how Christ's disciples have reckoned all things to be lost so that they might win Christ. Stretched upon the rack, their strained nerves has only made them sing louder. And though they were harp strings, only put in tune when they were drawn out to their extreme length. They have been tortured with hot irons and pincers. And their backs have been plowed with scourges. But when have you found any of the true followers of Christ flinch in the hour of pain. They have borne all this and challenged their persecutors to do more and invent fresh arts, devices, and cruelties to try them. Christ was so precious that all the pain of the body could not make them deny him. And when at last they have taken forth to, uh, been taken forth to a shameful death, Let the axe and the block, let the cross of crucifixion, let the spear, let the fire and the stake, let the wild horse and the desert testify that the believer has always been a man who would suffer all this and vastly more, but who would never renounce his confidence in Christ. Look at Polycarp before the lions when he is brought into the midst of the assembly and is demanded and it is demanded of him that he will deny his God. Thousands of savage eyes look down upon him and there he stands, a feeble man alone in the arena. But he tells them that he has known the Lord these many years and he never did him any displeasure and he will not deny him at last. 
To the lions they cry out, to the lions. And the lions rush upon him, and he is speedily devoured. But all this he would have borne the mouths of a thousand lions if he had a thousand lives rather than have a single thought against the majesty of Jesus of Nazareth. The whole history of the ancient church of Christ proves that Jesus has been an object of his people's highest veneration, that they set nothing in rivalry with him, but cheerfully and readily without a murmur or a thought Give up all for Jesus Christ and rejoice to do so. End quote. The fact is that Christians have throughout the ages always given all they have for Christ. Jesus said to the rich young ruler when he said, how can I get eternal life? He says, I'll just try this. Give away everything and follow me. He wouldn't do it. Jesus said in Luke 14, unless you take up your cross, die to yourself and follow me, you can't be my disciples. He said, you got to give up all your own possessions. This whole point is, listen, you have to be willing to give up all for Jesus, maybe even your life. Giving is something we do because God wants us to do it and we do it in faith. And this morning we want to talk about just the discipline of giving, the offering up of our earthly goods and resources for Christ our King. The Bible speaks of money and how to use it almost more than any other topic. Just think of that. If you think about when you read your Bible, how often there's something in there on money. I think the only subjects that rival it as far as the amount are God, Christ, and sin. And money is just up there. It's in like the top talked about things in all the Bible. You say, well, why is that? Why is that? Well, because we're, we're selfish, hoardy, hoarding, greedy, grabbing sinners. That's why. I mean, we love it to hold on to our stuff and to be selfish and to do things our way and not trust God. That All that comes naturally. We tend to gather up far more than we need. And we always tell ourselves, oh, it's for that rainy day that never comes, especially in California. (laughs) We tend to find comfort in money rather than the Lord and often leave behind far more than we needed to be swallowed up in probate court or law proceedings by greedy children. And since we have these propensities, God addresses the use of money over and over and over again in his word. You know why? Because he wants to bless us. And I know that seems strange. And the world just thinks, how could this be? How could this be that by giving, God would bless me? It's just the way it is. It's the way it is. We need to be reminded that this world is not our home. You are not going to live in this world forever. This is not the place where you build a palace that exists forever. Jesus is doing that for you. All of this world and all of its stuff is going to be burned up and destroyed eventually. And everything you have has been given to you by God. And you can't take any of your earthly goods with you. You're going to leave them all behind. Which really is just a steward. God gives you whatever you have. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about your brain, education, skills, gifts, times. Whatever resources you have can either be used for His glory are used for selfish ends destined to perish. 
A while back, I did a series of sermons on stewardship. If after this morning you're thinking, you know, I, I want to learn more about that. Please listen to the stewardship series. I think there's four, four sermons on there just to kind of give you some perspective on things that just aren't taught anymore. You just don't hear people teaching the truth anymore about giving. For instance, did you know the Bible doesn't tell Christians that they have to give a tenth or a tithe? And yet pretty much every church you go to, they're going, we need to give our tithes. No, we don't. The Bible doesn't say that. Well, didn't Abraham give Melchizedek a tithe? Well, yeah. Wasn't Daniel thrown in the lines then? Yeah. So, so what are you saying? You know, I mean, come on. Didn't Judas hang himself? We can't take a historical event and say, now this is the pattern for everybody in the church. There are actually three different tithes required in the law of Moses. A couple regular tithes and some once a year. Not only that, you had to do things like, oh, leave the corner of your fields for the poor. Uh, I hope you're all doing that. Let one part of your lawn grow high, I guess. Um, Now, if anybody, you know, want to make a grass shake or something. Um, If you have any fruit, you leave it on your trees and, and, uh, you know, or bushes or whatever it grows on. And when people come through, they can pick and eat whatever they can pick and eat as they're walking by. So you let them onto your property and harvest. This year we had uh, five raccoons eat our whole grape crop. And uh, so we were supporting the wildlife in our neighborhood. Not only that, you needed to let your land lie fallow every seven years. That would be like you uh, saving, uh, putting some aside for six years. And that seventh year, not working your land, making a living. That's pretty scary. Uh, You also were to forgive debts every seven years. Anybody owes you anything? Erase that. That's scary. Let all the holding, land holdings, go back to their original owners every 50 years. That's scary. And and offer all these self-initiated sacrifices, guilt offerings and free will offerings and offerings, offerings, offerings. It's far more than 10%. That was like a 60 or 70 percent. It's like our government taxes. But you know what? That's exactly right. Because in that situation, when you think about it, their religious system was their government system. They were under what is called a theocracy. God ruled the nation through, you know, a human ruler, or, you know, like Moses or a judge or a king. They were under a theocracy. We're not under a theocracy. And not only that, they were under the law of Moses, the law of blessing and curses. We're not under that either. And so you can't take these examples in the scriptures and then say, well, uh, you know, they directly apply to Christians today. No, there's principles there. You know, you may say, well, you know, 10% might be a good place to start. But the New Testament teaches free will offering. That means do what you want before the Lord. A specific amount or percentage is not required. The New Testament teaches we should give in proportion to our love for God and how much he has blessed us. And this may mean giving far more than 10%. Now, if we don't want to give, 
then there's a different problem. You know, if you're there and every Sunday you say, well, I'm not going to give, I'm not going to give, I'm not going to give. Well, that's a whole different issue. That is a heart issue. The goal of life is not to hoard up as much as we can in our garages before we die to be a grief to our children. Like the rich fool, imagine his kids trying to go through his barns with the stuff, trying to figure out what to do with it. No, the the goal of life is to invest in eternity, to store up as much as you can in eternity so that the angels are up there thinking, where are we going to put all this stuff? I know that some of you, if you were to step out in faith and say, you know what, I'm just going to start giving to the Lord like the Bible says, you would be so blessed you would never quit. You would just keep, you'd keep giving your whole life because you would realize, you know what, this is so great. There's always said to be a tension there when people are growing in the Lord where they're kind of off and on, they give a little bit and some kind of reluctantly and then finally they start giving and they become more faithful and pretty soon they start like, this is great. This is good. This is a blessing. And when that happens, you get to see God do things. You have power with the resources you have, whether it be money or time or skills or whatever, to bless other people. You need to think about like the, the pews you're sitting in now. They're kind of soft and nice. It's better than a hard wooden bench with no back. The people who purchased those, a lot of those are in glory now. They don't even attend here anymore. And you're glad to be sitting there. You're glad for the air conditioning. And, you know, you're glad for the conveniences you have. Somebody paid to bless you. You're being blessed by somebody else's sacrifice. Don't you want to be part of that? God wants you to be part of that. And he wants you to bless you by being part of that. After the birth of the church at Pentecost, many Jews came to Christ. And the moment they came to Christ, they were ostracized from the Jewish community. They, they lost their jobs, they lost their businesses, they were kicked out of their homes. Nobody wanted to have them as a friend because they had believed in this Jesus heretic. And so they were poor and destitute and many of them were living on the streets. Thousands of them came to Christ at Pentecost and there was huge needs. And so Paul, as he planted churches, encouraged the churches to give to support the poor saints in Jerusalem. And one of those churches was the church of Corinth. And the church of Corinth was doing pretty good. As a matter of fact, Paul gives them instructions at the end of 1 Corinthians in chapter 16 and the first four verses of chapter 16. This is what he says. Now concerning the collection for the saints as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper. So that no collections be made when I come. When I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it is fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. So here he gives this, he asks the Corinthians to give systematically on the first day of every week, you know, as you're making money through the week, come, set some aside. He says, give in proportion to how God has blessed you. So there's no percentage, um, just how you may prosper. That's it. And finally, uh, what was given had to be handled with high accountability. Uh, whomever you may approve to accompany it. So there's no thought of any sort of shady dealings going on. And uh, so he gives some different principles. There's more in there, but those are the three I'm pointing out. 
And then they were doing a good job at those. They're doing a good job. They're, they're, they're laying stuff aside. But then some false teachers came into the church and Paul had to write this letter and then another harsher letter and another letter and another letter. And he's writing these letters to there. And during this time, their focus got away from ministering to others and they became kind of the church of the ingrown toenail. It was all about their pain and their conflict and what they were having happen and they were kind of miserable. And so Paul then writes again to them in 2 Corinthians to address giving. He defends his apostolic apostleship in the whole book. That's the grand theme. But in giving, he gets a pretty big chunk of it, like most books of the Bible. And so chapter 8 and 9 are all about giving. And he starts off because he has to defend himself, that he's not a money grubber, and he didn't come there, you know, to get rich and to extract money from the saints. And so he talks about that in chapter 8. But then he goes on, but you know, as a Christian, this is how you need to give. And so our text is in the middle of that section. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read verses 6 through 15 so you can get kind of a little bit of a context. And um, and then we're going to um, look at verses 6 and 7. Now when I read this section, I extracted 21 different biblical principles on giving. And no, we're not going to cover them. We're just going to look at six of them found in two verses. But please look in your Bibles at 2 Corinthians 9, and I'm going to read verses 6 through 15, and then we're just going to kind of focus on verses 6 and 7. Paul writes this starting in verse 6. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always, having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed, as it is written. He scattered abroad. He gave to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed. And the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God because of the proof given by this ministry. They will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them all. While they also, by prayer on your behalf yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This is such a great passage because it Paul is just trying to bring out how awesome it is, how wonderful it is, what a blessing it is to give. He's just saying, Corinthians, listen, if you take this money and set some aside... Don't do it when I'm there. I don't want you to be giving under compulsion. Do it of your own free will in your own time, according to the Lord has prospered. I want you to just lay some aside. And when I come, I'll take that gift. Or if you want, you can point out other men to take it with me to Jerusalem. It doesn't matter. Whatever. And when they receive that gift from you, they are going to praise God. Isn't that good? They are also going to praise God for you. Isn't that good? They are going to thank God for you and pray for you. Isn't that good? 
God is then going to give you more so that you can give them more because he wants to bless you and bless them. Isn't that good? I mean, that is the whole thrust of what he's saying here. It's good. Giving is good. It's a great opportunity for you to practically bless other people. So from this text, we're just going to look at its meaning and doctrine, and then we're going to look at its application. So we're sticking to our basic Puritan outline, two-pointer, with some sub-points thrown in. Understand the meaning of 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 and 7. Principle number one, stingy, hoarding, greedy, covetous people who refuse to obey God and refuse to trust Him won't be blessed. Imagine that. Imagine that. Look at verse 6. Now, this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Now, you say, well, what's that? It's called a figure of speech. Now, here's a cool little Bible study principle for you who study the Bible. All of you, I hope. Um, as you're... As you're studying the Bible, whenever you come up to a figure of speech, so you're, you know, you're reading, you come, I am the door, you know, I am the sheepfold, or, you know, you wild beast of a man, or something, and you're thinking, what is, what is going on here? Okay? The first thing you do, whenever you come to a figure of speech, is first consider the literal meaning of what is being said. So, let's just talk about farming or gardening, if you're, uh, you know, probably more likely that some of you might garden. You know, this year, because uh, I had so many things going and I didn't want to plant a garden that, you know, died in my yard when I was away, I didn't plant any seeds. And guess how many seeds grew? None. Brilliant deduction. But if I were to say, you know, I, at least I would like to have a, some, you know, vine-ripe tomatoes, and I put in a few seeds, I could expect a little crop. Or if I bought a lot of seeds and I just, like, you know, just carpet bombed my yard with seeds, what would, what would I expect? A huge harvest. That is so basic and simple. Now, switch over to giving. You've considered the literal meaning, now just switch over to giving. Paul is saying, if you don't give to the Lord, don't expect any blessings from giving. Oh. If you give a little to the Lord... Expect a little blessing from the little you gave. If you give a lot to the Lord, expect God to bless you a lot. Very simple. You just have to ask yourself, how much do I want to be blessed by the Lord? Do I want to be blessed a none? A little? Or a lot? And then you can just decide how much you're going to give. Because it's like seed. The more you throw down, the more you get into return. Yesterday we had uh, service for West Stone. And I know a lot of you were here. If you weren't, you missed out something great. It was packed out. All the seats were full. The balcony was full and people were staying in the hallway. Now, they were, that didn't happen because West Stone was rich. That didn't happen because he had, you know, huge financial resources. He didn't. But he was a servant, wasn't he? He was a servant of others. And at one point I asked, how many people here have been served by West Stone? Raise your hand and wave it around. Pretty much everybody here had been served by him. He used his gift of helps or service to serve a lot of people and be a blessing to them. And do you think he's in heaven now going, man, that was a jip. 
I should have used that time to make more money to save it. And I should have, you know, bought more junk destined to perish. I should have, you know, whatever. No, no, no. He's glad. He probably wishes he were to serve more. God gives you everything you have and you can use it for his glory or you can use it for yourself. If you use it for his glory, you will be blessed. Use it for yourself. That's all you get. Only in this life, whatever you can get out of it. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. You're thinking, so, whoa, whoa, wait a second here. You mean if I give to the Lord, if I honor the Lord from the first of my produce, that it's actually, I'm going to get more? Yes, that's what I'm saying. So the word of God says. Jesus taught what Paul is teaching in our text in Luke chapter 6, verses 38. Give, and it will be given to you. It's like a boomerang. Throw it out, comes back. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. You want a great abundance? Give a great abundance. Solomon also taught in Proverbs chapter 11, verses 24 and 25. The world just doesn't understand this. They refuse to believe this principle. Christians must believe it. There is one who scatters and yet increases all the more. And there is one who withholds what is justly due and yet it results only in want. The generous man will be prosperous and he who waters will himself be watered. I mean, that's just the testimony of three witnesses besides our text telling you the same thing. Giving is a disciplined, a discipline that we engage in so that we and others can be blessed and God can be glorified and praised. And so the question is, why is it that so many people don't give it all or give very little. But there's two basic reasons. One, they are those stingy, hoarding, greedy, covetous people who refuse to obey God, trust Him to provide for them. They don't believe the Bible is true. They hang on to what they think is theirs, thinking that by not obeying the Scriptures, they're actually going to have more and they're actually going to be happier by being selfish. There are those people. They have a worldly mindset. Or second, they don't know what the Bible says. Because they've never read it and they're brand new converts and they've never just got around to studying it. I'm going to take care of that second class right now. I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. But the first group, God's going to have to deal with you. You know, I can preach to you not to love the world. I can preach to you to be generous and give, but I can't change your heart. God has to do that. So I'm going to give you up to the Lord. I'm going to do my part and let God do his. But hear me when I say that God wants to bless you. If you would just let him. God wants you to be a blessing to others. If you would just let him. God wants you to give him glory. If you would just trust him. C.H. Spurgeon in his John Plowman's talk wrote. Quote. I suppose we all find the money goes quite fast enough. But after all. It was made to circulate. And there's no use in hoarding it. It is bad to see our money become a runaway servant. And leave us. But it would be worse to have it stop with us. And become our master. End quote. 
You die. You're escorted by the angels in the presence of Christ. And he says, so how did you use the resources I gave you? What are you going to say? What are you going to say? If your answer is, well, I didn't use them very well. Well, don't wait till you die and it's too late and you're shame before Christ. Do something about it right now. Fix it. Fix it. Don't miss out on the blessings that you will receive, not only in this life, but the life to come. You need to realize that the way you use your resources, whatever it be, whatever kind, time, energy, skills, money, whatever, whatever, however you use your resources in this life will determine the blessing you receive in eternity. Think about that. You remember the parable of the talents? The guy who buried his got nothing. The guy who got a, a few more was over three cities. The guy over ten, over ten cities. There's proportional blessing. The degree to which you trust God and live by faith in this life will then determine how much you can be blessed in eternity. Think about it. It's incredible. Another principle we get From our text, generous people who obey and trust the Lord, not their riches, are blessed. Imagine that. Look at the middle of verse 6. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And you say, well, so what does that mean, Pastor Jack? I mean, does that mean that if I, you know, give $100, I'll get $150 back or $175 or $200? I mean, how much do I get back? Well, if that's your thinking, you need to go back to the foundational principles again. One, all you have is God's already. Two, he gave it to you and you can't take anything with you. Three, he commands you to give so that he can bless you further so others can be blessed and he can be glorified. You want to know if you're going to get more money? If you put a hundred bucks in the plate, you're going to get 150 back? I don't know. Will you get joy? Yes. Will you get health? You know, if you're suffering, if you put a whole bunch of money in the plate, will you get health? Probably not. At least not in this life. But will God bless you? Absolutely. You say, well, how, how does that work? What, what form does it come in? You know, when does it arrive? When does the package arrive? Well, I don't know. That's up to God. He just says he will bless you, not only in this life, but in the life to come. It may be a promotion. It may be money. It may be children. It may be joys. Uh, I don't know. Grandchildren, I don't know what happens. God knows how to bless people. You just need to trust and he's going to do it. You let God deal with the shape and size and kind and the how and the when of the blessing. You trust in him. And you work at getting that huge crop of blessing. You just need to believe God. Three, when you give, it is between you and the Lord. In other words, don't let anybody else manipulate you. Nobody else twist your arm. Giving should be planned. It should be freely given. Whenever you give, it should be because you've decided before the Lord, and you've decided to give a certain amount, Verse 7 says, each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart. Just as you have purposed. Notice, no amount there. 
Give as you see fit. Consider how the Lord has blessed you. How much you love the Lord. Other people, lost sinners and saints. How big of a harvest of blessing you want for the Lord. That's what you need to do. Notice you must purpose in your heart how you are going to give. Which means you got to think about it. Which means giving should be calculated, not impulsive. Calculated. Not impulsive. Principle number four. Don't give grudgingly, which is what the middle of verse seven says. Not grudgingly. The word grudgingly as the New American Standard or the New King James Version has it or reluctantly as the English Standard Version or NIV have it means that. It means sorrowful. It means painful, regretful annoying, afflicting giving when you give. It's like, don't do that. Don't ever give a single penny. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how great the need is. If you can't, with joy, plop it in there because you love the Lord, don't give at all. Do not give. That would be to sin as you're, quote, doing a good thing. No, you need to first deal with whatever the core sin is in your heart. Dig that thing out with repentance and spray the weed killer of the word on it and get that all dealt with so that you can come and however much you give, you can give it freely and cheerfully to the Lord. Principle number five, don't give under compulsion as the middle of verse seven also instructs or under compulsion. What what is that? That means to give under pressure, to give under distress, to give under manipulation. Never do that. Never do that. If you're ever feeling pressured or guilted into giving, don't do it. Don't do it, the Word of God says. Now, there's a couple different ways that compulsory giving happens. One, you can kind of give reluctantly. In other words, you know, you feel guilty. Other people are putting money in the plate. And you're thinking, man, I better do something. I'm throw a few coins in there. And you're kind of going, man, I wanted to get, you know, go to lunch afterwards. And now I'm going to go have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Um, <laughs> you know, you're, you're reluctantly giving. Don't do it. Don't give under peer pressure. Don't do it. At home, decide how much you're going to give. Before you come, don't give under impulse. Calculate it. And then give. That's one way you can have compulsory giving. Another way is to willingly, happily, and freely give, but in an unwise way. Another way, another way you, you, you go to some Christian event and they say, hey, you know, we want to show you something. And all of a sudden up come the pictures of the starving kids with distended abdomens and, and the, the, the pleading and the, the arm twisting and the guilt trips that are coming on. You're just like, oh, and they said, no, we're going to take an offering now. Please give now. These kids are dying. And so it's like, okay, okay, okay. Now, you may be happy and say, yeah, I want to do that. I want to do that. But you know what? They may be scamming you. It happens every day. There are, there's a whole army of people out there who scam gullible Christians. That's why if something like that happens, listen. Those kids are going to be there in a day or two. Go home. Don't give. You're feeling pressure. The more pressure you receive to give instantaneously, the more resolve you should have in your heart not to give. 
Wait. Wait. Think about it. Pray about it. Do some research. See if the ministry is legitimate. Ask the missions committee. They may say, you know what? We don't know anything about that, that ministry. But you know what? We do recommend that you... This ministry is legit. We know. We've been involved in this. We know people were involved in this. And this is great. You know, some ministries, yeah, they say, yeah, we help starving kids or whatever. And, you know, 10% of your money gets to the kids. The 90% goes to people driving Lexuses and living in Malibu. You don't want to do that. You don't want to freely and happily give to a bad cause. And so no compulsory giving. The scriptures say don't do it. Go home, do research, take some time, a few days, a week. Make a non-emotional, calculated, informed, planned decision. Because you want to do it for the Lord. Principle six, give with a cheerful heart. The end of verse seven says... For God loves a cheerful giver. The word cheerful means just that. It is a word that can be translated eager, willing, joyful, or happy giving. I want to do this. I love to do this. It's a blessing for me. Arm wrestle you for the chick. Okay, those kind of things. Why? Because you love the Lord. Because you want to obey the Lord. Because you want to see sinners went to Christ. Because you want to see Christians blessed. Because you want to store up treasures in heaven. Because you want to obey the scriptures and do what they say. Because man, you want the harvest, man. I want a bumper crop. You believe God is going to take care of you. And so you give to him. Christians must have an eternal perspective. Listen, the goal is not to see how much stuff you don't need. That you can store in your garage, in your house, in your storage facility. So you can die and torment your children with it when they try to unpack it and go, why did he say this? No, no, no. Don't do that. Give to the kingdom. Give to eternity. Think about how you can do things for eternity. Now, don't think when I'm saying this that you need to take a vow of poverty or don't pay your bills or, you know, don't anticipate the future or, you know, don't prepare for retirement or whatever. I'm not saying that at all. The Bible teaches many things. I'm just giving you some things. But what our text is saying here is have planned out, calculated, cheerful giving. That's what you need to do. Consider how to use your money wisely for eternal purposes. Don't major on things destined to perish. Don't try to stuff your house and your garage with all these things you really don't need. When you could be using that to win people to Christ. To support missionaries. Narrow down, have less, give more. Your treasure is in heaven, not on earth. Heaven is your eternal reward. You're going to inherit the earth. Make giving and blessing other people a hobby. Turn it into a fun art. Okay, we've got some money. Now who can we bless with it? Yeah, how do you want to do it? Let's do this. That would be so awesome. And then you sneak and ring the door and leave it on the front porch or something. You know, do something cool. And then go to church. They're going, man, you won't believe what happened to me. I had this huge need. I just showed up. It was just on my porch. And everybody else is going, praise God, praise God. And you're saying, praise God. And you're being blessed. I mean, that's just the beginning of it. Because you know you did that. 
You remember the discussion Peter had with Jesus in Matthew chapter 19, uh, verses 27 through 30. It is also a parallel text we looked at in Luke. Peter said to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. What will, them, what will there be for us? And Jesus said, And truly I say to you, that you have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit in his glorious throne. You also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. Luke adds, receive many times as much, not only in this life, but in the life to come or the age to come, eternal life. In other words, God's going to bless you not only in this life, but then Jesus ends this, but many who are first will be last and last will be first. All the people who hoard up and seem to have this huge amount on earth, believe me, when they get to heaven, if they even make it, most of them won't are going to have far less than some very meager living people. You are really an instrument that God wants to use to be a blessing to other people and a blessing to your own soul and to give Him glory. You can do that. You can do it. It's cool. It's fun. Now, what about the application? Let me just begin, because I'm going to start talking about money now, and I know some of you are going, oh, no, it's guilt trip time. Listen, the offering has already been taken this morning. We're not taking one after the service. And hopefully, after a week has gone by, any guilt I inadvertently lay upon you should have dissolved. I just want to give you some practical stuff. You know, I have people come up to me and go, you know, I don't really know what to do. I don't really know how much to give. You know, I hate to tell them, I'll start with 10% or whatever. Because you know what? You can, it's okay to give more than 10%. And sometimes it's okay to give less. So I don't want to give you a number. As you've already learned, and I'll state it once more, it's never the Lord's will that you give grudgingly or under compulsion, but only with a cheerful heart. So let that be a safety net to you for what I'm going to say. I also want to just say, before we look at these principles, that we're not talking about the quantity of money. You have to get that into your your head and your heart. You remember the widow who gave her last two little widows might, gave more than all the other people in the temple that day combined. And you're thinking, well, how could that be? Because she gave all she had. That's why. You have to remember that in God's sight, it's not, well, I, he has blessed me with a little, so I'm going to give a little. That is a lot greater sacrifice than someone who's blessed a lot who gives the same percentage. That person has to give quite a bit more because, you know, after you have a house and you have food and you have all your needs met, what are you going to do with that extra money besides save it up? For what? You know, so your kids can fight over it in probate court. I mean, that's it. So there should be an increased volume of giving with an increased blessing from the Lord. If you don't have very much, it's okay. You don't give very much as far as amount, but it's a lot to the Lord. That's what matters. So don't think, well, I'm only giving $5. It's okay. You know, if you <laughs> you don't have very much, that's fine. All right, here's some principles. Be convinced the Lord wants you to give regularly, sacrificially, 
generously, anonymously, freely, and with a cheerful heart. Study the Word of God and make sure you've come to that conclusion. So that's out of the way. This is, this is a spiritual issue. This is a matter of either you giving glory to God or not, of sinning or obeying. Secondly, plan to give. How much? Whatever you want. Whatever you purpose in your heart. Not under compulsion. Freely, in proportion to how the Lord has blessed you. Given accordance to how much you love God and love other people, want to see souls saved. You'll let those things guide you. I'm not going to tell you, because the Bible doesn't tell you. But put it in your budget. Plan to give. You say, well, I don't even have a budget. Make one. Why? Because then you can actually see what you're giving to the Lord over the course of the year. You can compare it and say, you know what? I made this much this year and I gave this much. I'm going to try and get that up to this next thing next year. I'm going, to, I'm going to do this. Make sure it's planned out. God wants you to purposely do it. He doesn't want you to be a, you know, well, automatic withdrawal to the church. So I don't have to think about it. He wants you to think about it. He wants you to consciously think about it and say, I have this and I am going to do that for the Lord cheerfully. And then he'll bless you. Pray about it. Read through the Bible. Read through scriptures on giving. Read through 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Find out about giving. Learn about it. Read books about it. So that you can be educated in how best to give and use your resources for eternity. Consider the need. Fourthly, consider the need. You say, well, what is that? Well, sometimes there's greater need. So you might have kind of a certain amount you may give to church. And then you might have other ministries or missionaries or things you support, organizations, because you like what they're doing in the world. And given above, you know, maybe there's a, a building program. And, you know, the right when the building program is getting started, all the material costs shoot through the roof. And, you know, there's like a $5 million debt, let's say, for example. And. Um, you might want to give to that so that, you know, we could maybe get some more staff and, you know, get the sound system fixed and get new carpet and recover the pews or something, you know. There's things that you can do to be a blessing, not only in a short term, but long-term blessing to other people. But you have to plan to do it. You have to consider the need. Five, as you make more, give more. This is a very standard principle. And when you say, well, what do you mean by that? You know, sometimes you get kind of a windfall, maybe an inheritance or something. And that's kind of a neat thing because you're living off of whatever you have. And if God gives you an abundance, then you could do something neat with that. Instead of, well, let's just ratchet up our standard of living for three months or buy a bunch of junk and stick it in the garage until it rusts. Um, you know, let's talk about what we might be able to do about that. One of the things my wife and I have practiced, you know, when you get like a standard of living, a cost of living raise, you know, let's say you get a 3% raise. What that does is, you know, if the cost of living goes up 3% and you get 3%, it's, it, it should keep theoretically your buying power even, right? It should keep it even uh, because, you know, things cost 3% more and now you get a 3% raise so you can do that. But, you know, before you get the raise, you are surviving on 3% less, Right? Yeah. So when you get that 3% raise, and let's say, you know, you, you get, you know, $300, uh, you know, extra after you do your budget or $100 extra or whatever it is, you know, whatever you're making. You, know, you get you this extra amount. You can say, well, hey, 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 look at this here. 
Now, you know what? We could take that and we could give a portion of this to missions or the building fund or whatever so that you don't, you don't instantly ratchet up your standard of living. And every time you get paid, you give more and more to the Lord. And if you do that, it happens in increments as the Lord has blessed you. And you won't notice it. As a matter of fact, you will have more to spend. I mean, it, it will seem that way when really you're learning how to live off of less, which is a good discipline. It's a good discipline. Six, don't buy a lot of stuff on credit. Try to pay cash. Give what you save in interest to the Lord. If you can wait for something and not buy it on credit, then wait for something and pay cash. You know, this is they try to teach kids this in school, and the first thing that happens is there's all the credit card companies, you know, swarming around the college campus going, Hey, you want a credit card? It's like, you know what, if I use my credit card, I don't have to pay for it. You're right. You have to pay it for it three times. If you make the minimum payment, you're paying way, way, way more than it's worth. Why? Because, you know, it's okay if you use your credit card and pay it off. But if you use your credit card and don't pay it off, then you're paying for it and you're really paying for it. And so... There's some little principles like that that are just kind of basic things. And sometimes we get anxious and we're kind of, you know, impatient and we want something right now. But really what we have is working. And if we just were a little bit patient for a little bit longer, we could pay cash. And then we wouldn't have to pay interest and we could, we, it would it'd increase our purchasing power and our giving power. And so try to pay cash for things when you can. Seven. Think of what Jesus has done for you and what he has given for you when you're thinking about giving. That is so helpful. He is the example for everything. Like Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not with him freely give us all things? We have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Surely if Christ gave his life for you, you might be able to, you know, give regularly, generously, sacrificially to him. He hung on that tree and bore your sins on the cross. Surely you can give to him. You know, sometimes it just means not eating out at really fancy restaurants all the time or, you know, not wearing cutting edge clothing or, you know, just brewing your own coffee. (laughs) You know, just... Going by with a little less, a little older car, uh, you know, a 30-inch rather than a 60-inch TV and, you know, things like that. That you can actually survive off of something like that. I'm just telling you, it could happen. In C.H. Spurgeon's autobiography, he, he, has, he tells about how his wife had this ministry. And she, she was pretty much an invalid. After she gave birth to their sons, she just... Um, she was basically house-ridden from then on. I mean, she was just an invalid. And she could barely function. Barely, rarely left the house. And yet she got this idea that she wanted to give to pastors. She just... She knew of so many pastors that would come to Spurgeon's Pastors Conference and they would come and these, she'd talk to these men and they had these tiny little libraries. You know, tell me, you know, what, what things do you need? And she would ask them, think, oh, it'd be great to have more books. Well, how many books do you have? Oh, 20? 21, I think. 
in your library? Yeah. I just can't afford them. My church is too small. So she got this idea. You know what? I'm going to start a book fund and I'm going to send books to pastors and they're going to be able to read those books and bless their people. And so that way I can bless pastors and bless whole congregations and anybody those congregations talk to by blessing these pastors. So she decided from her home to start this this book fund ministry. So she wrote some letters to people and all of a sudden money just started coming in. And as soon as she got the money, she had this principle, as soon as I get it, I spend it. And and, and she said, well, why is that? And she said, well, because I read this little, one of my husband's humorous little wisdom essays in John Plowman's talk called The Spendthrift. And there was a principle in there from Proverbs chapter 11, verses 24 and 25, which we read earlier. There's one who scatters and yet increases all the more. She goes, that's what I'm going to do. I'm scattering. So as soon as the money would come in, she'd buy books and send them out. She'd buy books and send them out. She'd buy books and send them out. Pretty soon she needed multiple helpers, and all day long they were packaging books and mailing and mailing and mailing um, to pastors all over the place. One of her biographers, Charles Ray, writes this, quote, The numbers have varied in different years since that time, according to the state of the finances, and owing to the growing infirmity of Mrs. Mrs. Spurgeon, and the work has receded somewhat from its high-water mark in 1883. The last report issued by her... That for the year of 1901 to 1902 showed that 10,113 volumes had been distributed during the two years that had, that in the 27 years since the fund was started, a total of 199,315 valuable theological works had been put in the hands of ministers, uh, preachers, and missionaries too poor to purchase them. It is indeed a marvelous record of service done by an invalid lady, and to find a parallel would be difficult. The whole of the work entailed by the book fund and its branch organizations was attended to by Mrs. Spurgeon personally, and some idea of how heavy was the correspondence alone may be gathered from the fact that the average number of letters received per month was about 500 And in two periods of four weeks each, the numbers were 657 and 755 letters respectively. How would you like to answer and send books to 755 pastors who wrote to you in one month? She was an invalid, a single woman at home who couldn't leave. God provided all the money from outside. She ran the whole thing from her house and blessed countless pastors and their congregations. One person who wanted to give. And God used her in a huge, huge way. Think about how God might be able to use you In the lives of so many people, in so many ways, there's so many places you can be a blessing. Do it so you can reap that harvest that God wants to give you. Pray with me. Father, we come before you thankful that you give us instructions in your word that are clear and concise and teach us 
very practically how we can be a blessing to others and how we ourselves can be blessed. May we not rob our own souls, our own lives, our own families and churches of the blessings that we could have if we would just believe you. We want Calvary Bible Church to just be the epicenter of blessing to other places. And we know that as we grow in doing that, you yourselves will give us an abundant crop of blessings in return, not only as a local church, but also as individuals. May each of us look to you in this area. May each of us grow in this discipline. And may we rejoice as we are blessed and you are glorified as saints are one to Christ and other saints are equipped for the work of the ministry. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.